Against the better judgment of respectable gentlefolk everywhere, this is the wildly inappropriate podcast of Arthur Greenleaf Holmes, England's only poet laureate of the piss pot. This podcast is not for children, the dull-witted and infirm, or the morally indignant. Arthur takes no responsibility, and never has, for damn near anything. Today's episode, The Tewksbury Pudding. Hello everyone, this is Arthur Greenleaf Holmes, and thank you for joining me once again right here at the wildly inappropriate podcast of Arthur Greenleaf Holmes. I want to continue to remind you that the tentative dates for the wildly inappropriate poetry of Arthur Greenleaf Holmes, as it will appear in the off-Broadway run in New York, is tentatively scheduled for November. So keep looking at my website and my Facebook and other social media platforms for further information as we receive it. But right now it looks like November is a go. Today I want to talk about the poem, The Tewksbury Pudding which is one of my favorite poems, and I often use this poem in my show when I need to inject a little bit of life into the audience. This is a never-fail poem for me. It always gets a good response, and it, it, it just seems to elevate the energy level of the room whenever I do it, so it's become one of my favorites. I often like to tie my poems into some other poetry, and very often... It is a shaky relationship at best, and that is going to be the case here today. I am in Texas right now, performing at Scarborough Renaissance Festival, which is about a half an hour south of Dallas, and that is in the town of Waxahachie. About two weeks ago, I was wandering around during a festival day, and I passed what used to be a dilapidated mouse-infested shack. It used to be a shop, but then it was rather abandoned, and... Now I'm looking at the shop, and it's been refurbished. Someone has given it great care, and it looks like a quite a, quite a, a charming little cottage. And outside on the stoop was sitting this friend of mine by the name of Nathan. Now, I stopped and talked to Nathan because I was amazed at the transformation of the cottage. When I was first starting out as a poet, I and I've talked about this before, how I didn't have a stage show yet, I was hired at Scarborough Renaissance Festival just to try out this poet character as a street character. And the artistic director at the time, and general manager, gave me a place to live, and it was that dilapidated shack. And I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not complaining, uh, but it was me in this little shack, and, and it was really quite run down. There was a loft space to, to sleep on, and uh, I remember writing the Tewksbury pudding in that loft. I remember waking up, and the idea for the poem had come to me in bed one morning. And I was just laughing, just laughing at the idea. And I just started scribbling things down. I became quite happy with the poem, and I brought it out to the street that weekend, and it was quite successful. I was very pleased with it. There is, um, There are a few influences in the style of poetry that I write, and most of them are poets, but some of them are not poets. Some of them are musicians. And one of my greatest influences, I realize, uh, is is the band The Kinks. The Kinks, you know, You Really Got Me, Lola, and all those songs. But it is some of The Kinks' lesser-known works that have most appealed to me because they had a style of writing that I think was rather similar to the poem Richard Corey by Edwin Arlington Robinson. You know, where you set up a character in a bourgeois lifestyle. 
and at first you're outlying all the successes that he has, but then it turns very dark very quickly. Just like in the Richard Corey poem where he has everything, he owns so much of, of the street, but then one day he goes home and he shoots himself. Well, I remember the Kinks had this song called Mr. Pleasant, and the music was very carnivalesque, this whirling sort of trumpet body kind of vaudevillian sound. And they're talking about what a great man he is and how he's, great, he's got a great wife and lovely job. He's such a success. And then at the very end, you find out that his wife has been running around on him and, and his life is not so pleasant after all, as the line goes. And that kind of writing was quite an influence on me. And, uh, you know, I, I think you might see it in poems like The Wee Irish Man in other poems where I take some time to set up one scene and then I pull the carpet out and show you something quite different. Now I mentioned uh, Edwin Arlington Robinson and Richard Corey, but one of my favorite poems, and this has very little to do with the Tewksbury pudding, um, but it's another Edwin Arlington Robinson poem. He was, a, he was an American poet born in Maine and he became one of the uh, most popular poets of the early 20th century. And I want to read this poem by him. It's called Luke Havergal. Go to the western gate, Luke Havergal, there where the vines cling crimson on the wall, and in the twilight wait for what will come. The leaves will whisper there of her, and some, like flying words, will strike you as they fall. But go, and if you listen, she will call. Go to the western gate, Luke Havergal, Luke Havergal. No, there is not a dawn in eastern skies to rift the fiery night that's in your eyes. But there, where western glooms are gathering, the dark will end the dark, if anything. God slays himself with every leaf that flies, and hell is more than half of paradise. No, there is not a dawn in eastern skies, in eastern skies. Out of a grave I come to tell you this. Out of a grave I come to quench the kiss that flames upon your forehead with a glow that blinds you to the way that you must go. Yes, there is yet one way to where she is, bitter, but one that faith may never miss. Out of a grave I come to tell you this, to tell you this. There is the western gate, Luke Havergal. There are the crimson leaves upon the wall. Go, for the winds are tearing them away nor think to riddle the dead words they say, nor any more to feel them as they fall, but go, and if you trust her, she will call. There's the western gate, Luke Havergal, Luke Havergal. Today's episode is sponsored by Professor Sleeptight's soothing Industrial Revolution bedtime soundtrack. Is the struggle to feed your family keeping you awake at night? Just pop this eye-drooping soundtrack in and sleep will come swiftly. Featuring the somnolent sounds of 19th century England, give yourself over to the sleepy hum of a real mineshaft collapse, a billowing smokestack, or a steam engine powering through the Midlands. Also includes bonus tracks such as the swish swish of orphan chimney sweeps, a chorus of labor union organizers, soulful songs from a lunatic asylum, and the slamming doors of a London poorhouse. Professor Sleeptight's soothing Industrial Revolution soundtrack, because counting sheep is so 18th century. What a mood this poem creates, a dark, somber, ominous mood. And I think that it's a worthwhile question to ask, how does this poem achieve its meaning? I go back to John Ciardi, who 
again said that you should not ask what a poem means, but perhaps you should ask instead, how does a poem mean? How does it achieve its meaning? I think it's interesting that both Edgar Allan Poe in his Annabel Lee poem and Robinson in this poem use repetition. Where do we see repetition? Well, we see repetition in nature. We hear it in the sounds of waves coming in in rhythm. We hear it in the wind. We see repetition in church prayers and hymns. We see repetition in childhood nursery rhymes, such as the Owl and the Pussycat and other poems such as those. We also see repetition when we speak of ghosts, when we think of ghosts speaking to us. It is often in, in a repetitive manner, asking a similar question over and over again. How else does this poem achieve its meaning? Ask yourself, who is the speaker of this poem? I don't think it's clear. Is the speaker a ghost? Is it the woman? Is it the wind? Is it a spirit? Is it some overlord spirit that presides over the dead and communicates to the living? Is it nature? Is it God? Is it Luke Havergal's imagination? Is it coming from his own thoughts? I think that omitting that information heightens the experience of this poem. Theodore Roosevelt, who was a contemporary of Robinson's, when he read this poem, he said something like, I am not certain what Luke Havergal means, but I am quite certain that I like it. It's a bit, and forgive me if I repeat myself, if I've said this in other podcasts, but it's a, it calls to mind what Augustine said when he was asked about the nature of time. He said, I know what it is if you don't ask me. I long ago stopped bringing my writings to writing circles, you know, where people sit around and they've each written something and they bring it in and then they all discuss and criticize it, critique it, I should say. I stopped doing that because I got tired of certain kinds of questions, specifically that question where someone would say, well, I really wanted to know X, Y, and Z. And I can imagine, can't you, Robinson bringing this poem to a writer's circle and someone after reading it saying, I really wanted to know who the speaker of the poem is. Well, of course you want to know, but he's not going to tell you. And you should ask yourself, does that heighten or does it diminish the power of this poem? And in this case, I think that it greatly heightens it. This was one of the favorite poems of the president, Theodore Roosevelt. And when he read this poem, he said, I don't think I'm exactly quoting him, but he said, I am quite sure that I do not understand Luke Havergal, but I am quite certain that I'd like it. And isn't that how some poems go? I am reminded once again of what St. Augustine said when he was asked about the nature of time. He said, I know if you do not ask me. Anyway, as I said, this is a, a tenuous connection to the Tewksbury pudding at best. Well, here's the poem, the Tewksbury pudding, and there's some stanzas that I leave out in live performance. I cut right to the chase, but I will do the entire poem right now. <clears throat> oh, the Tewksbury pudding's a wretched dessert. Just the slightest of bites and your prostate will hurt. Your liver will swell and your colon will squirt and you'll blow a brown stain up the back of your shirt. Ooh, the Tewksbury pudding's a terrible treat. They say it's a bread, but you'll swear it's a meat. And it's hardly a thing for a Christian to eat. It'll blow out old lefty and wrinkle your teats. It chews like placenta, sebaceous and black. If you see one outside, tie it up in a sack. You can give it away, but it always crawls back, for it tastes like the drip from a camel toe's crack. 
Oh, it's evil, immoral, and bad to the core, and it's cursed with a smell I find hard to ignore. It'll shoot out your ass, but you'll ask for some more. Why, I split one last night with a preoperative whore. Oh, the Tewksbury pudding, it's worse than you think. It enlarges the heart, but your penis will shrink. When you're done shitting blood, well, you'll need a stiff drink. Jesus Christ, light a match, hit the fan, clean the sink. The Tewksbury pudding, it's banned where I'm from, for it tastes like a turd that's been sprinkled with rum. Open wide, hold your nose, plug your ass with your thumb. In the wink of an eye, your hair pie will go numb. It'll cripple your gut with intestinal flu. It'll ripple your twat like a fleshy kazoo. Throw your hands to the sky and ask God what to do. Make the sign of the cross, even though you're a Jew. Well, I warned you that this had very little to do with some of the other poems I tied it to. But I do want to say thank you for tuning in once again. Uh, follow me on all of the pertinent social media platforms. Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and of course my website, arthurgreenleafhomes.com, and YouTube, where you can see videos of both John Cleese and Penn Jillette reciting my poems. But until then, thank you very much for following along. Take care of yourselves. This has been the wildly inappropriate podcast of Arthur Greenleaf Holmes. Counselors are standing by for those of you in need of a good talk down. Please send all complaints to the Ministry of Abiding Indifference, whose address we haven't yet gotten around to. Follow Arthur on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and your local police blotter, and go to arthurgreenleafholmes.com to find out how you can be responsible for bringing this pervert to an off-Broadway theater. We'll see you next week. Toodles. Posted on dimlywit.com.